Hi guys, I am Arpish Sharma and you are all listening to The Old Files. So there is an announcement to make. I did a poll on my Instagram that do you guys want Haunting Fridays where I will bring paranormal cases and majority said yes. So I will be doing Haunting Fridays starting from next week. So get ready. And now on to the episode. Many listeners are aware of this case and the circumstances surrounding it are believed by many and discarded by many. The house which now sits on 108 Ocean Avenue is now a thing of curiosity for all. The most notorious haunted house in the world. It is to be found in the sleepy seaside town of Emmettville, an hour away from New York City. On November 13, 1974, six members of Diffio family an idyllic suburban italian catholic family who had their own business in auto dealership was murdered by the lone survivor and their son ronald defio junior many police officers and journalists deemed it as a ghastly but a pretty straightforward murder ronald defio junior also known as butch i will from now on in this case i will called ronald defio junior as butch So Butch was born on September 26, 1951 in Brooklyn, New York. Butch was the oldest of five children born to Ronald Sr., a successful car salesman and Louis Defeo. Ronald Sr. worked at his father-in-law's Brooklyn Buick dealership and provided the family with a comfortable upper-middle-class lifestyle. But there was a dark side of him. Ronald Sr. was a hot-headed and short-tempered person who often got into fights with his wife and children. Once Ronald Sr.'s wife, Louise Defeo, was coming up the stairs from the basement with a basket of laundry. That's when Ronald Sr. punched her in the face so hard it knocked her down the stairs. But the most frequent target of abuse was the eldest child, Ronald Jr., of whom he much expected. As Butch matured, he began lashing out physically against his father as well as as his few friends. At the age of 13, Butch attacked his grandfather and taken to a child psychologist. But the visits didn't sit well with Defeo. Ronald Sr. took another route, the route of using incentive of cash and presents, including a $14,000 speedboat. But the new tactic only made the problems worse. By the age of 17 butch had become an lsd and heroin user and was expelled from school for his violent outbursts regardless of these setbacks the defios continued to reward their son at the age of 18 junior received a prized position at his grandfather's car dealership butch funneled the salary into his new car as well as guns alcohol and drugs butch's strange behavior seemed only to increase with time Once he threatened a friend with a rifle during a hunting trip and later acted as nothing happened. He also attempted to shoot his father with a 12 gauge shotgun. Butch pulled the trigger at point blank range but the gun malfunctioned. The incident foreshadowed the more violent events to come. In 1974, Butch, feeling irritated by what he believed a meager salary, plotted a mock robbery with his friend. In late October, the dealership entrusted him with the responsibility of depositing more than $20,000 in the bank and that's when he executed the plan the plan went off without a hitch until the police came 
to the dealership for questioning. But instead of answering questions, Junior burst into a rage. Ronald Senior began to suspect that his son had committed the robbery. But when he questioned his son about his lack of cooperation with police, Butch threatened to kill his father. Now, the day was November 13, 1974. At around 6.30 on the evening, 23-year-old Ronald Defoe Jr. burst into Henry's bar in Amityville, Long Island, New York and declared, You got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Defio and a small group of people went to 112 Ocean Avenue, which was located not far from the bar, and found that Defio's parents were indeed dead. One of the group, Joe Yeswit, made an emergency call to the Suffolk County Police. The call went like this. This is Suffolk County Police. May I help you? We have a shooting here. Uh, Defio. Sir, what is your name? Joey Yeswit. Can you spell that? Yeah. Y-E-S-W-I-T. Operator, yes, man, yes, wit. Operator, wit. Your phone number? I don't even know if it's here. There's, uh, I don't have a phone here. Okay, where are you calling from? It's in Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and it's right off uh, Ocean Avenue in Amityville. Austin? Ocean Avenue. Ocean Avenue. Off of where? It's right off Merrick Road. Ocean Avenue. Merrick Road. What's, um, what's the problem, sir? It's a shooting. There's a shooting. Anybody hurt? Huh? Anybody hurt? Yes. It's uh, uh, everybody's dead. What do you mean everybody's dead? I don't know what happened. Kid came running in the bar. He says everybody in the family was killed and we came down here. Hold on a second, sir. The police then diverted the call to another police officer. Police officer. Hello. Hello. What's your name? My name is Joe Yeswit. George Edwards? Joe Yeswit. How do you spell it? What? I just... How many times do I have to tell you? Y-E-S-W-I-T Where's you at? I'm on Ocean Avenue. What number? I don't have a number here. There's no number on the phone. What number on the house? I don't even know that. Where's you at? Ocean Avenue and what? In Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and have someone come down there. They know the family. Amityville? Yeah, Amityville. Okay, now tell me what's wrong. I don't know. Guy came running in the bar. Guy come running in the bar and said there... His mother and father are shot. We ran down to his house and everybody in the house is shot. I don't know how long, you know. So, um, uh, what's the address of the house? Uh, Hold on, let me go look up the number. Alright, hold on. 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. Is that Amityville or North Amityville? Amityville, right on south of Merrick Road. Is it right in the village limits? It's in the village limits, yeah. Uh, okay, what's your phone number? I don't even have one. There's no number on the phone. Alright, where's you calling from? Public phone? No, I'm calling right from the house because I don't see a number on the phone. You are at the house itself? Yeah, how many bodies are there? Uh, I think, I don't know. Uh, I think they said four. There's four? Yeah, alright. You stay right there at the house and I'll call the Amityville Village PD and they'll come down. In a matter of time, the Suffolk County Police reached the house and searched the house and found that six members of the same family were dead in their beds. The victims were car dealer Ronald Defio Sr., who was 43 at the time, Louis Defio, 42, and four of their children, Don, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9-year-old. All of the victims had been shot with a .35 caliber liver-action Marlin 336C rifle at around 3 o'clock in the morning of that day. 
Defio's parents had both been shot twice while the children had all been killed with single shots. Louise Defio's and her daughter Alison were reportedly the only victims who were awakened by the gunfire at the time of their death. But according to Suffolk County Police the victims were all found lying on their stomachs in bed. But there were some controversies surrounding the case. All 6 of the victims were found lying face down in their beds with no signs of a struggle or sedatives have been administered. leading to speculation that someone in the house should have been awakened by the noise of the gunshots neighbors did not report hearing any gunshots being fired the police investigation concluded that the victims had been asleep at the time of the murder and that the rifle had not been fitted with a suppressor police officers and the medical examiner who attended the scene were initially puzzled by the rapidity and scale of the killing and considered the possibility that more than one person had been responsible for the crime with no clue in hand the police turned to the lone survivor of the massacre ronald defio junior the police came to the house and questioned defio about who could be a suspect in these murders on which he told them he believed mafia hitman luis fellini may have been responsible defio cited an old grudge between the made man and the family over some work defio did for him at the dealership he then told police he had been up late watching tv and unable to sleep left for work early he said he believed his family was alive when he left for work then told them of his whereabouts for the rest of the day police then placed defio in protective custody and they searched for a suspect As the investigation progressed, Defio's testimony began to crumble. Also, the authorities found an empty box for a recently purchased .35 caliber Marlin gun in Defio's room. As the timeline came together, it seemed more realistic that the murders had happened early in the morning as the family had all still been wearing pajamas, hence placing Butch at home at that time. In short order, the detectives on the case began to seriously consider the possibility that Butch had been playing them. that he may be their suspect that he had at least knew much more about the killings than what he had told them so far at 8:45 a.m. detective george harrison shook butch awake did you find fellini yet he asked but harrison was not there with any such news he was there to read butch his rights defio protested that he had been trying to be cooperative all along and that it won't be necessary to read him his rights He went so far as to waive his right to counsel all to prove that he was an innocent witness with nothing to hide. By this time Gozalov and Napolitano were exhausted. Two other officers Lieutenant Robert Dunn and Detective Dennis Rafferty took over. These two meant business. Rafferty reread Butch his rights and proceeded to question the suspect about his activities and whereabouts over the prior 2 days. Rafferty zeroed in on the time of the murders. Butch had written in his statement that he was up as early as 4 a.m. and that he heard his brother in the bathroom at the time. Butch, the whole family was found in bed lying in their bed clothes, said Rafferty. That indicates to me that it didn't happen at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon after you had gone to work. Rafferty continued to press Butch until he was able to pry him away from his earlier version of when the crime took place, establishing that the crime actually took place between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. With this slight fissure, Butch's crudely constructed story began to crumble. Dunn and Rafferty hammered at the discrepancies between Butch's stated version of the events and what the physical evidence led police to believe actually happened. 
Butch was physically linked to the scene once the time of the murders were established. At first, Butch tried to desperately make the best out of a deteriorating situation, trying to lead the detectives to believe that while he had indeed been present in the home during the murders, he had only been in each bedroom after the murders had taken place. But the police weren't biting. Butch, it's incredible, said Rafferty. It's almost unbelievable. Butch, we know we have a 35 caliber gun box from your room. Every one of the victims had been shot with a 35 caliber. And you have seen the whole thing. There has to be more to it. It's your gun that was used. More desperate than ever, Butch continued to lie. Even as his lies put him more squarely in the middle of the murders. He told his interrogators that at 3.30 am, Louis Fellini woke him up and put a revolver to his head. And the man was present in the room. Butch said, but upon further questioning, he could not provide any kind of physical description for the police. According to Butch's new version of events, Fellini and his companion led Butch from room to room, murdering each one of his family members. The police let Butch keep talking and he eventually implicated himself as he described how he gathered and then discarded evidence from the crime scene. Wait a minute, said Rafferty. Why did you pick up the cartridge if you had nothing to do with it? You didn't know it was your gun that was used. Butch didn't respond to the question, so the investigators allowed him to talk some more. They had already mined a good deal of evidence implicating Butch, all the while pretending to believe that Fellini and his accomplice had taken Butch along on their killing spree while sparing his life alone. Once they had been given a solid description of how the murders took place, Dunn went in for the kill. They must have made you a piece of it, he told Butch. They must have made you shoot at least one of them or some of them. Butch fell for it and the trap was sprung. It didn't happen that way, did it? Asked Rafferty. Give me a minute, Butch replied, his head in his hands. Butch, they were never there, were they? Fellini and the other guys were never there. No, Butch finally confessed. It all started so fast, when I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. In the early morning hours of November 13, 1974, Ronald Defoe Jr. acted on his threat. Using a .35 caliber Marlin rifle from his gun stash, he entered his parents' bedroom and shot them both while they slept. He then entered his brother's bedroom, shooting them both in their beds, and he ended by shooting his sisters point-blank in their bedrooms. All the murders took place in 15 minutes. Junior then showered, dressed for work and collected his bloody clothing and the murder weapon in a pillowcase. And then he dumped the evidence in a storm drain on the way to work at the dealership at 6 am. Upon arriving at work, Defue called home pretending not to know why his father hadn't shown up for work. He attempted to secure an alibi by telling each of the people he visited that he couldn't seem to reach anyone at home. And then at 6 pm, he called a friend in mock surprise saying that someone had broken into the house and shot his family. Butch's trial begin on October 14, 1975, nearly a year from the date of the murders. Defio's defense attorney, William Weber, attempted an insanity plea for him and the murder suspect told jurors that he heard voices that told him to kill. Psychiatrist for the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, supported the claim saying Defio was suffering from dissociative disorder. Defio also changed his confession many times during the case. 
one of the accounts I found interesting, which was told by Defio. On November 30, 2000, Ronald Defio met with Rick Osuna, the author of The Night the Defios Died, which was published in 2002. According to Osuna, Defio claimed that he had committed the murders with his sister Dawn and two unnamed friends out of desperation. He claimed that after a furious row with his father, he and his sister planned to kill their parents and that Dawn murdered the children in order to eliminate them as witnesses. He said that he was enraged on discovering his sister's actions, knocked her unconscious onto her bed and shot her in the head. It has been reported that during the original police investigation, traces of gunpowder were found on Dawn's nightgown, indicating that she may have discharged a firearm. But this line of inquiry was not pursued after Ronald Defio's confession. Also, attempts to contact the two LE accomplices have failed since one died in January 2001 and the other is said to have entered a witness protection program. But Ronald Defio Jr. had a stormy relationship with his father. After all that, why he killed the entire family remains unclear. The prosecution at his trial suggested that the motive for the murders was to collect on the life insurance policies of the parents. And then Dr. Harold Zolan, prosecution psychiatrist, proved that Defio suffered from antisocial personality disorder. The illness made him the defendant aware of his actions but motivated by a self-centered attitude. And on November 21st, 1975, they found Defio guilty on six accounts of second-degree murder and he was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences. After the arrest and sentencing, many books and movies about the true story of poltergeists was launched. Many believe that after the murder, the ghosts or spirit of the victims still live in the house. Other believes that the house was haunted even before the defios moved in. And a vast majority believes that this all is just a hoax. Well, I suppose that almost all of you are aware of Amityville Horror. So I leave you all to make your own version of truth. Thank you. That's all for this episode. And if you like this episode and you are liking my other episodes, please do give me a follow and a review and also follow me on my Instagram page which is at the rate the old files. Thank you for tuning in. Sit tight and enjoy the ride.